Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute. Anna, we all know that you hate singing, but do you like dancing? No. (laughs) I lie, I do love dancing. I would have thought so. Do you have a signature move? No, it mostly depends on how inebriated I am. You're such an artist, (laughs) free-flowing with the music. Exactly, that's my And the spirits within you. (laughs) Anyway, I ask, because this episode will be leaping gracefully around The White Crow, Rafe Fiennes' biopic of the Soviet ballet star Rudolf Neryov. But before we strap on our ballet shoes and hit the floor, Anna, what have you been watching? Well, mainly, really, to be honest, I've been watching Peep Show. But because our producer Pete has shamed me into po- <laughs> pulling came out, out about two hundred and fifty <laughs> years ago, yeah. I'm not British. I was not on top of this. Hold on, Olivia Coleman wins an Oscar, and suddenly everyone in film is like, "Oh yeah, Peep Show's a thing." I think it's genius. <laughs> but because Pete has shamed me into saying something different, because everybody has seen Peep Show, mainly he has seen Peep Show. My my discovery for everyone, as always, because I won't shut up about this man, is Hardware by director Richard Stanley. It's a dystopian sci-fi film that echoes Terminator or probably inspired Terminator to some degree and has some incredible neon-tinted visuals, an amazing kind of late 80s, early 90s, new wave soundtrack. The fully armed model storage tubes carry an additional chemical weapon, a cell-destroying toxin. Tresilabin morphate, available to you at no extra charge. I remember smells like apple pie. The drug causes sensory distortion, followed by death. And was the first feature film by writer-director Richard Stanley. And he only made two feature films and a couple of music videos and short documentaries because he then exited the film industry entirely after having a horrible experience trying to make The Island of Dr. Moreau. And there's a whole documentary about him as well on Netflix, as always, called Lost Soul which I would encourage everyone to check out after they've seen Hardware and understand exactly why he is an unsung genius and he deserves a lot more attention. Design for kills within seconds and even makes the target enemy enjoy the experience. When I saw the word Hardware and heard you say it, I was worried we are going to get another 20-minute polemic about flex tape. <laughs> but... <laughs> How dare you? You've seen the video, you know it's great. 
skipping quickly on. I've been watching. Well, first of all, I'm fascinated by the controversy and the hoo-ha around uh, leaving Neverland with the Michael Jackson documentary. There's so many things you can say about the documentary itself, and of course, Michael Jackson and the case around that. But uh, just the real-world impact that this this documentary has quickly had. I was cycling to the studio today, and I see uh, one of the MJ Innocent banners on one of the buses. I just can't think of. I mean, it's the times we're in where Kickstarter campaigns can start to kick back against the documentary almost instantaneously once it's released. But it is fascinating how reactive people have become now to these giant stories. The thing that I have really enjoyed this time around is this time with Alan Partridge. Again, somebody who's been in the comedy sphere quite a long time, but the way that they've reformatted him for the modern world is is interesting in itself. And the advice from the World Health Organization is that we should be washing our hands for a full 20 seconds. 15 is fine. Which is why there's actually an instructional video which shows exactly how to wash your hands. Please, please. So we begin by rubbing the palms together, work up a nice creamy lather. Those are very creamy hands. And then you rub the back of your left hand with the right palm with interlaced fingers. Yeah. You'd expect Partridge to be a kind of Brexiteer extreme, and he is and he isn't. He's kind of someone who would vote for UKIP under Nigel Farage, but not UKIP in its current construct, so he's trying to be with the times. Those taps are the same as the ones over there. Oh, yeah, we shot it here. Well, so those are your hands. Mm-hmm. I could just demonstrate right here in the lab no, if you no, want. no. No, we, we mustn't. He's trying to be a kind of gender-appropriate person who knows how to talk about those kind of issues. But when I say gender-appropriate, scowling at me. I mean someone who can talk about issues of gender in the modern workplace and all this stuff with the appropriate kind of gravitas and the right thing to say, quote-unquote. I feel like I'm stumbling like Partridge as I go, and this is great stuff. It's very appropriate. <laughs> I'm about to put my I, hand on your knee. Anyway. I thought you were, gonna, I thought you were doing it on purpose. I was like, well done. No, Stick I'm with just the character, stumbling. Mate. <laughs> we all have our partridge moments anyway it's great check it out it's a real interesting reinvention of the character and uh, they've done something really clever with it right then into first position for the white crow ray finds biopic of rudolf nereev follows the fiery ballet star as he wows the west with his extraordinary talent written by david hare the film shows us nereev let loose in paris where his kgb handlers have trouble keeping his indomitable spirit in line Get ready for dance, drama, and lots and lots and lots of Anna correcting my pronunciation. It's a great pleasure to welcome you to France. This is the first time since the war that Leningrad's famous Kirov company have been seen in the West. Did you dance tonight? If I had danced, you would remember. Henry, did you know anything about Rudolf Nureyev before you watched this film or before I made you watch this film? I didn't. I didn't even know how to pronounce his name. There you go. No, I'd, I'd, I'd heard of him. I would have gotten confused with a couple of other Soviet-era ballad dancers. Pretty clueless. Fill me in. He's long gone now, but he is still probably one of the best-known Soviet-slash-Russian ballet dancers of all time. Part of that, not only because he was known to have remarkable talent and kind of a really feisty off-stage personality as well, he was also the first high-profile artist who defected from the Soviet Union to the West. So that kind of made his name in many ways. And then his career spanned decades after his defection from the Soviet Union. So he worked extensively in the States, and he was mostly based in Paris. 
Paris and he became eventually the director of the Paris Opera Ballet. He was also a kind of a key figure on the social scene, so he were friends with a lot of very high-profile people of the time. You know, he was a regular at Studio 54 and stuff like that. And he'd be hanging out with Freddie Mercury and Mick Jagger and Liza Minnelli and Andy Warhol, like all the cool people. Mm. You know, he never really did films. He did participate in a lot of TV shows. There's a hilarious dance he does with Miss Piggy. Last week I've been dancing with Natalie Makarova. And today I'm in a steam room with the Lady Pig. I don't think heaven is this one. It's more like the other place. He was an incredibly strong personality often on stage. And he was interesting as well from a technical point of view because he started dancing quite late in his life and he was driven by this insane ambition of becoming the best at what he did, even despite kind of some of the the shortcomings that he had kind of technically and in terms of his training. And a lot of the writing about him, kind of the criticism at the time about his dancing and stuff was very much that even though he was not the most technically perfect dancer, his persona and his personality on stage really... uh, Uh, supplemented that. So he became very iconic. And in fact, his name is still kind of synonymous with male ballet dancers in many ways. And he was credited in a way with giving a lot more importance to the male dancer, because up until that point, it was very much always about the woman on stage, about the ballerina. And the male dancer was just there to lift her up, basically. And he very much wanted the focus, the creative focus to be shared or, you know, for men in ballet to be taken just as seriously as artists, as ballerinas were, which is a very strange dynamic for us to be talking about today that, oh, you know, men want to be recognized as much as women. (laughs) (laughs) Hardly apt, is it? (laughs) What the film gets obsessed with a little bit is the craft and how he was dedicated to it but also the kind of feeling of coming to Paris and being as you said part of the party scene what really interests me is this idea of western bourgeoisie people who love their ballet taking on these Soviet dancers as the kind of I hesitate to say pet, but there is an element of them kind of fostering this relationship that is slightly let us bring you into our society and introduce you to the West and you can be our friend because you're exotic because of where you've come from. There's that whole water festival. Is that something that defectors after him were known for as well, that they were kind of brought in as as exotic specimens basically before they defected? And do you think that kind of contributed to why they came to the West in the first place? I don't think you could say that about anyone who's defecting in general. I think it's much more of almost like a class conversation rather than a very nation or nation specific one. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it's about kind of anyone who's defecting. I think it's a very well seen approach by the bourgeoisie and kind of people in the arts about kind of taking on someone who they think is like, oh, you're weird and cool and interesting. Let's be friends. You were born on a train. (laughs) 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 And, you know, anybody can have any number of stories. I don't think it has much to do with politics or origin but the class thing does kind of bear a lot of weight in the film as well because a lot of emphasis is put on the fact that he was born into extreme poverty and kind of sort of wrangled his way through grit and a lot of training a lot of very intense dedication I'm a peasant from Soviet Union boy born on train I have an obligation to show the world I'm the best They call me White Crow. 
So that kind of drive is presented in him from the very, very beginning. And I think part of that it illustrated as well the fact that he instinctively knew that it was not just about the dancing in a way. So his curiosity is presented as well as a social curiosity. So he was extraordinarily curious about art and culture, everything to do with it. So in the film, the fact that he's also curious about people, whoever they may be, like he approaches people just because I think he is interested to hear from them. Maybe on one part as well, there is an element of social climbing too, which could be, you know, again, kind of draws back to that idea of, oh, I need to be part of this high level artistic community, but I am not born in it. So the naturality of it or kind of the natural social norms of it don't kind of necessarily appear out of nowhere. He needs to learn them. And in a way, he uses that to his advantage because he's not burdened by the rules or the conventions of who you can or cannot speak to. He vaults the ladder. (laughs) Yeah. And the other one is just just sheer, honest, kind of almost childlike curiosity about people and talking to different people and getting to meet them. So there's a scene in the film about halfway through, sort of in a gathering in Paris, and it's the first outing of the Soviet ballet troupe. And there's all this Parisian, you know, glitterati, and they're all standing kind of like boys and girls in a high school dance on opposite ends of the ballroom. And Nureyev just walks up to a random guy and just says, hello, let's chat. I think that kind of part of his personality is really well presented in the film is the fact that he was curious and bold about everything from his dancing to his training to his sort of temper to the way that he befriended people as well. Thank you. Is there any chance we could all have dinner tonight? We're told not to speak to foreigners, not to go out with them, not to eat with them. Aren't you frightened? Monsieur Nureyev, do you think you will one day go back to Russia? I feel I will never return to my country. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. What fascinates me about that, though, is the same quality that gave him that independence and that spark that people see in his dancing is the very thing that's going to set him on a path against the Soviet state and the KGB. And you see that, I think, through later distance as well. Someone like... Hold on for a second for my pronunciation. Mikhail Baryshnikov. Mikhail Baryshnikov. Mikhail. 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 Misha. Just call him Misha. Misha. That's what people used to call him. Who um, also was a kind of became a Western pop star after after defecting. And he was in an amazing film that you introduced to me called White Nights, which I watched last night. And it's so good. I mean, first of all, just to quickly sk- skip into that film. 
the first half an hour is incredibly action-packed. You have this sequence where he does this amazing ballet dance where he is, um, I think it's called The Coward and Death or something like that. He's a, a guy who commits suicide because he has a sexy woman that he who's too sexy to bear, so he kills himself and then puts on a death mask. And then that quickly translates into the ballet dancer then going on a plane, um, which then crashes in the Soviet Union. And because he's a dissident, he tries to tear up his passport and his ID documents and throw them down the loo. Doesn't work. The KGB find him and then he's then sent to Siberia. And this is all in the first like 20, 25 minutes. We haven't even got on to Gregory Hines as the uh, US dissident who has left America Dissidents because of the everywhere. <laughs> Vietnam War and the America's treatment of black people, culminating in an incredible drunken, ballet slash autobiography tap scene where Gregory Hines is describing what it's like to be a black American at the time of the Vietnam War but doing it through the medium of dance Give me a break we're not going to try that again are we? You're never going to learn this I need the exercise and besides your primitive steps amuse me Come on teacher Well this is the last time I'm doing this Let's show him how effective you have been Be really free do you? No, it's like Wisotsky. You whisper his songs. I won't whisper what I feel. I want to scream like he does. I can't lie anymore. Look at me. Look at me. including one scene where Baryshnikov does this extraordinarily dramatic improvised dance to some Russian uh, folk singer in front of Helen Mirren in the middle of an empty theater stage, trying to describe what the feeling of wanting to express himself as an artist but not being able to because he's not allowed to by the country and the system that made him into an artist. It's incredible. It's, it's, a, re- it's a really great I'm film. I'm so happy you liked I it. Loved it. I love that film. I loved it. I mean, it's Baryshnikov similar to Nureyev and that he I think he's extremely is a spark that can't be tampered, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And also in the same way as Nureyev, I think Baryshnikov was always extraordinarily ambitious and always very conscious of just how much he could achieve, but also very creatively ambitious, not just in terms of, you know, money or fame or things like that, but the ability of having a, a larger stage, a bigger playground, more freedom to express and explore his creativity. And both of them, actually, it's interesting, they ended up being huge hugely successful and influential choreographers as well. So they, once their kind of dancing days were done, in a way, they continued to push forward their art form through choreography and by teaching future dancers as well. Baryshnikov is still extraordinarily active as a choreographer and I think he still sometimes dances, just not as much as he used to. But their paths are quite similar in the sense that they were high-profile defectors and then became very, very popular because of their je ne sais quoi charm. They were just different. And, you know, it's nothing to do with kind of their on-screen talent, I think it just has to do with the kind of the fireness of their personalities. And Baryshnikov, I think, was a much more talented actor than, you know, you could argue is probably the most talented out of all the male ballet dancers turned screen actors. He was actually nominated for an Academy Award for The Turning Point, which is another excellent ballet-based drama film. And also then, you know, season six of Sex and the City. Which is <laughs> I was wondering when you're going to get to it. <laughs> and who are you? What do you mean? Uh, your name? Oh. I'm Carrie Bradshaw. You are a comic. 
And I'm Charlotte York. I mean, Goldenblatt. I forgot my married name. I, I just got married, so it's... Can I just say again how very, very important your work is? So. Oh, my God. We just met Alexander Petrovsky. You want a comic? Because talk about <laughs> how much do you know about dissident ballet dancers from the from the East. Basically, I know Varishnikov because of Sex and the City, and he's very sexy and charming in it. But isn't it extraordinary in a sense that he came across and he did reach at that time the complete peak of Western culture, which is Sex and the City. And for you know, it's it's incredibly that's an incredibly Sex and the City se- season six was a lot later uh, on from his peak moments fair in en- the eighties. <laughs> Fair enough. But what I mean by peak is that I struggle to think of a more capitalist, for example, TV show or pro- cultural project than Sex and the City, which is all about accumulation, about individual success and about the American dream. And to be fair, I think Sex and the City does play a lot on kind of the exotic Soviet pet mm-hmm. um, image of him. But that's not that's not kind of the peak Baryshnikov, to be fair. I think what he did and what Nureyev in a way did as well in his time, just not kind of in a screen format, is present ballet and kind of the the artistic possibility of ballet and kind of the crossover of ballet between high art and low art in a way. So if you think about ballet performances as kind of the high art com- part of the conversation here and film, which is mechanically reproduced and kind of the most generous and kind of accessible of art forms as kind of the low art end of the spectrum, he's trying to mix both of them. So he's, you know, creating this very accessible piece of work you know, a romance set in, you know, the Cold War in the 1980s, starring one of the most popular kind of f- figures in art at that time. And Helen Mirren as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> Burn on Helen Mirren. <laughs> no, she's incredible in that film. Also, fun fact, that is where she um, met her husband, who was the director of White Knights. Yeah, the director Taylor Hickford. Hackford. Hackford. Yeah. yeah. The point being that Baryshnikov mixes the kind of the very inaccessible and in part snobby kind of world of ballet and puts it on screen and makes it tempestuous and emotional and personal and kind of creates these very accessible scenes where he's saying, this is how I express myself. And at the same time, and this is part of what unites him with Nureyev and something we see in The White Crow as well, it has something to do as well with the way that male ballet dancers have to defend their masculinity. Mm. And obviously Nureyev is a really interesting figure who his sexuality is very briefly explored in the film where he is presented as someone who's not that, you know, interested in sex. And then he sort of has several affairs and at the same time he's discovering that he is a homosexual man and whether Zbarishnikov is not gay and and, you know, he was kind of well known as a playboy in his in the 70s in the States. But there is kind of this element of fluidity that they're being allowed. And in a way, it is because of the kind of very overly feminized image that we have of ballet in a way. So these guys who are basically athletes, that's how they are. They train for the entirety of their lives and they can only really perform for, you know, a set number of years before they physically have to retire and either, you know, go do something else or continue into choreography or, you know, developing other people. There was opposition. People against me. The dream of a world that isn't this one. Everyone must have a purpose in life. I have to show the world I am the best. Whatever you do, don't leave me. If you leave me, I am finished. 
My name is Rudolf Nureyev. I want political asylum. No! They were really passionate about kind of giving male dancers the spotlight that they felt they deserved, but also being allowed to be artistic and creative and sensitive. Mm. But at the same time, being presented as very incredibly strong and um, potent athletes more than anything else. So I find that dynamic, especially on screen, really interesting, where you have these guys who are basically following the same story as any other sports biopic, but at the same time it's infused with this extraordinary sensitivity and artistic sensitivity that is almost wordless because they're expressing themselves best when they're not speaking. They're not going to be verbose or extremely articulate people. And in a way, with the kind of Soviet defector stories, it's interesting because there is a literal language barrier there. They cannot actually express themselves fully in the language that isn't theirs. Um, So they have to do it through the medium of their art, which is dance. Um, Which is interesting when you get into the realm of making a biopic of somebody because then someone like Nuria, if you're you don't need to tell the story in a strange way because the dance tells the story and then you're right. I, I think any time that the character is not on the dance floor is, is less interesting, frankly, even though his life story is fascinating. But speaking of men occupying a space that is seen as a kind of feminized area and men bolstering their masculinity, let's bring in a third dancer. That's Sergei Polunin. Sergei Polunin. Sergei. <laughs> free for free. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to learn some Russian before the next episode. He's the modern dancer. He's Ukrainian, but uh, has always said that he feels Russian Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where he's got a a tattoo of one Vladimir Putin on his chest. Don't remind me of that. So when I saw how much bad press was about one person, uh, as a human being, I wanted to defend uh, and protect. Uh, So I did it uh, in a way to, to protect his energy. He's a very complicated figure, and that's putting it lightly, in that he's had some recent comments, particularly on Instagram, where he's talked mm. about the idea of male ballet dancers having to reclaim their masculinity. Mm-hmm. What are you doing prancing around like a woman, quote unquote? Very, very unmodern, unpopular views when it comes to looking at it from a Western perspective. And that I find that kind of fascinating in itself, in that a lot of the earlier examples of these dancers, the West were kind of holding them up as an idealized version of kind of cosmopolitan modern artists who were sensitive and fascinated in the arts and can portray effeminate parts essentially on stage. But then he is the reverse of that. He's everything that a modern Westerner probably doesn't want to see in the, in their artists. And he's kind of tearing the rule book apart. Very interesting comparing him to Nureyev and Baryshnikov in many ways, because he actually grew up in London. So he studied from about age 13 in London. So actually he was much more trained by the Western right. artistic world than the Russian one, basically. Also, he was already born when it was the Russian Federation as opposed to the Soviet Union. So, you know, the rules are a bit different. Not that much. (laughs) (laughs) They're listening. They're always listening. (laughs) Um, No, so it's interesting. He was actually much more influenced by... Western culture than anything else. And actually, if you think, if you look, kind of remove yourself a little bit emotionally and you look at his trajectory and the way that he's been presenting himself and how he got to become a pop culture figure in many ways is with this image of the bad boy of ballet. In a way, he's been applying kind of the same narrative of kind of the self-destructive rock star has been applied to him as a ballet dancer, which is very interesting in some right. He's definitely, the, he has that kind of hard living aspect to him, like someone who's like a drinker, a smoker. Um, and then again, that's kind of going back to the the contradiction in terms of thinking that these people have incredible bodies, but all three of them are shown to be kind of drinkers and hedonists in their own way, you know. 
Berishnikov was a, a womanizer to an extent. Nerev has drinking problem in parts of the film that we're shown in White Crow and then blown in as a kind of clutch of issues that, again, we won't go into too much. But it there can't just be one thing. And I think, I think that's what makes them interesting is that there's always this kind of cocktail of grace and tragedy and uh, disgusting things as well. I find the kind of the very particular sub-subgenre of biopics of Soviet male ballet dancers... Sub sub genre. Sub sub. Every single one of them I found to be really interesting in the way that these ballet dancers who are not necessarily screen actors, it's a very different type of charisma. You know, even someone like Polunin is a fireball on stage. He doesn't have the same charisma or the same presence on screen as he does on the stage. Well, you're also bringing him to an environment that's completely alien to him, right? So he's, he's opposite Jennifer Lawrence in Red Sparrow, which... Is, is hard to act alongside J-Lo. And then you've got Murder on the Orient Express, which is a massive all-star cast. Again, mm-hmm. he's, they're kind of, he's been brought in, it goes back to the exotic thing for me, he's been brought in as a kind of, as a showpiece, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's almost like the director saying, I admire this person's art, so let me bring them into a film to see what they can do, which might work and can, can work sometimes as it does with White Knights, but it, it, it doesn't work in his films. No, but I would say that actually Oleg Ivenko, who's the young dancer who portrays Nureyev in this film, who is not an actor, who had not acted before He's at all. He's quite clearly not an actor, Anna. I know, but this is what I mean. There's a different brand of charisma that goes on stage and on screen. Mm. And I think he, for someone who, whose first role it is, and to go into someone as iconic, both in the Russian-speaking world and in the Western world, it's actually quite ballsy and brave and I wouldn't say that he's doing a terrible job at all. I think there's something really instinctive about the things of young Nureyev that he's grasping at that he really does convey in many ways. I don't think he's doing a terrible job. I think it's it's not on them. It's not on these ballet stars to come and be amazing film actors. It's on the directors who again see them as something that is vital and fascinating in one context and then think that you can graft that energy into a completely different arena. I don't think any of the films that I've watched, granted there aren't that many that I've seen, have done it that successfully just because it's different. It's like taking a fish out of water. I think it has something to do with the fact that their off-screen personality is so much more powerful than any character they can portray on screen. So the reason why Baryshnikov works so well in the films that he did in the 80s is because his own story is so powerful, it transcends whatever character he's being given to play. And every character that he played was effectively a variation of his own story. You know, the White Knight story is kind of, you know, an extension of what he went through. So you can see kind of how it really works and being given these set pieces that are very emotional that are based around dance work really well for him because that's where he shines really but he has enough humor in him to be a guest star on sex in the city (laughs) i was gonna say a solid performer but fine in sex in the city (laughs) (laughs) no i actually think that's his worst role i'll have you know Free. 
That's it for this episode. The White Crow is in UK cinemas from the 22nd of March. We'll be taking our bows and heading off for a costume change before our next show, which will be on Disney's live-action remake of Dumbo. He can fly, he can fly, he can fly. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Anyway, The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute, is hosted by me, Henry Barnes. And Anna, I just tried to say your name in another take, and I still couldn't get it right, so go for it. I'm so sorry. Anna <laughs> you can contact us on Twitter I'm at Henry H Barnes and Anna Anna be demented our producer and choreographer is Peter Sale more of Pete's work at petersale.co.uk until next time your last line this episode is from White Knights enough playing around let's get to some serious business some serious ballet oh, this has been such an embarrassing episode for you there <laughs> 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 were some Russian lessons next Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.